0: Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hi everyone, Peter Crosby from the Digital Shelf Institute here. The explosion of marketplaces is causing both opportunities and challenges for brands, and it's not always easy to even know which is which. Kerry Masters, a Forbes contributor and founder of digital marketing agency, Bobsled Marketing, joined Rob and me to talk about this fast-moving commerce landscape and how to decide where to invest. Kerry, let's get right to it. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, we're at a place where we seem to be experiencing the oprification of marketplaces. You get a marketplace, you get a marketplace. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is happening here? What is going on?
1: Well, yeah, that, that's that's a great great quote actually, because we're, we're seeing more and more of these announcements with, um, especially in the grocery world, um, Kroger being the most recent high profile grocer, grocery to to launch a marketplace, and the um, the the technology company that powers. Kroger's marketplace is a company called Miracle. And uh, I spoke with their CEO recently that they're planning to launch at least four more major grocers on their platform by Q1 of um, 2021. So I think, you know, this is the, the oprification is definitely going to continue. There's going to be more marketplaces. The question is, is more better? And as a brand, do you want to be everywhere or do you want to be where all the eyeballs are and and i think that there's a very interesting debate to be had which um you know f- remains to, remains to be seen who who's going to be right here but on one side of the debate there is the more marketplaces equals better outcomes for shoppers and and a good deal for everyone which is let these marketplace let these retailers create marketplaces that are going to suit their customers and expand the assortment and drive discovery and things like that more selection is better and then there's the other argument to be made which is look how are you going to out amazon amazon and their whole game is selection a great customer experience and product recommendations so how how could you ever possibly beat that and what's your real value prop that you're bringing to customers. So I think it's a, uh, I'm not sure exactly where I stand on the debate. I see the merits of both arguments, but it's uh, going to be interesting times ahead.
2: Yeah. So I have, I'm going to uh, just play the, the cynical devil's advocate card for a moment. It, and this is, this isn't my personal yeah. perspective, but I, I think it's an easy card to play, which, which is um, digging into one thing that you said right in the middle of there um, on maybe more marketplaces is better for the consumer experience, but how are you going to add out Amazon, Amazon for grocers in particular? If I think about where grocery advantages, grocery advantages that a lot of people still like to go to the grocer, even when they try click and collect, there's a lot of uh, Americans in particular that have preference of going into the store for, for their food purchasing needs and whatnot. And we've, we see lots of technology in grocery that can help out a lot. So for example, um, the, uh, micro-fulfillment center additions to large grocery stores can help increase the assortment that's locally available for grocers in, in sort of like a local mini FBA sort of way. I wonder though, for a marketplace, like a Kroger marketplace, where you're not buying something to be delivered today necessarily, you're, you might go to Kroger.com and you buy a bunch of stuff that you're going to drive to Kroger and then pick up, but the marketplace stuff that you buy in Kroger.com that's third party is not going to be available at your local Kroger store. So the experience to me just seems like the grocers are adding marketplaces, but not, you know, they're not in a position of strength Mm. to add the marketplaces. So as a consumer, why would I buy something as a, you know, from a third party on Kroger.com if I can't pick it up at the store? It's a long way of framing the question, but, but, but that's like the bear case in my mind for for why not. Yeah.
1: I think that you, you're totally right. That that's the, the point of view is it's going to be a very uh, disjointed buying process. So if I'm going to Kroger.com, I'm, I'm, I'm purchasing my regular shopping basket for my family, but then, you know, there's some new items, which initially Kroger's marketplace assortment is going to be um, uh, non-core assortment. So ethnic foods, health foods, things like that, sort of a long tail, if I'm also also purchasing there, there's going to be a completely different fulfilment experience, which is it's not going to be at my um, curbside pickup delivery. It's not going to be, you know, part of that core grocery fulfilment. It's going to be shipped to me by the third party. And so I I spoke with um, one of the execs at, at Kroger and I brought that up. Is this going to be an issue? Is this going to be this disjointed customer experience? And their perspective is, well, no, we're going to make it clear to the customer that that's going to be the case. And, um, <laughs> and our, our, we sorry, just want our, our to, podcast we want to
0: <laughs> <laughs> our podcast listeners could not see Carrie's face go. Oh,
1: huh? <laughs> <A> pause. <laughs>
0: yes, well,
1: I, I guess that's, you know, that that's better than obscuring the fact it's coming from a third party reseller, which is what Amazon has has really done. True. Um, but yeah, the, their perspective is that we want to be with our shopper at all points of their journey, whether that's shopping for their core family shop, or if it's discovering new foods and, and household products that are offered by marketplace sellers. So that I, I think that I, I agree with you, Rob. I, I don't really have a play a stake on either side of the argument i i would like to see some more competition come into marketplaces and for there to be alternatives in the ecosystem but um i think that there is some hard decisions that need to be made around what kind of game are we playing how are we going to be different to amazon rather than just adding selection
2: yeah, it, it feels to me like the bear, the, so the, that was the bear case. The bull case now is if Tro- Kroger and other grocers are treating this as a dip your toe in the water first experiment along this line, and they've got other plans on how to back it up with a, with a more grocery experience on the back end, then this is an awesome move. So I can, I can imagine hmm. just a couple examples here. One is the micro fulfillment center play where you put micro-fulfillment micro centers at most of the major Kroger locations and those micro-fulfillment centers are, are warehouses that a supplier, like you're saying, you know, a, um, maybe non-core uh, ethnic manufacturer can effectively rent space in the warehouse attached to the grocery store, just like people rent space on an FBA for Amazon. And, and then all, you know, so, so instead of Kroger carrying the inventory risk, it's, it's, available for click and collect, but it's not available in store and it's in the micro fulfillment center. Um, I could see mm. that play being really interesting or I could see like a Amazon locker kind of play being interesting. Like you order on Kroger and they say, look, this is gonna be available for you to pick up in three or four days. And then you get a notification mm. when it's available to pick up. And that's great for Kroger because it's another excuse to go to the store. And you know, even if all you do is go to the store and buy impulse, like you buy a Coke or you buy a chocolate bar or something like that while you pick up your, your marketplace order. And from your locker. I think, you know, that, that could be a moneymaker there. So there's, there's angles here where they could maybe dip their toe in the water and then further invest in capital. You know, these are big, you know, obviously CapEx investments. Have you seen anything other than slapping third-party marketplace seller capabilities on a website yet?
1: Uh, short Short answer is no. Um, I think as you were talking, it it brought up some other possibilities which which might occur, which is Amazon has been gearing up these relationships directly with brands. So instead of working through distributors and resellers and and third parties to acquire inventory and, and selection, over time, they've shifted to developing a direct relationship with brands because the brands are the ones who are going to pony up the money for ad campaigns and product content and all of this uh, this marketing uh expense which is it's good for amazon it's good for the customer it's ultimately good for the brand as well so amazon has over time sort of moved to forging those relationships directly with brands but with these other emerging marketplaces depending on what their angle is it could make more sense for a marketplace to have um, invest in relationships more so with distributors and third parties, for example, a kihi who you know the big, big food distributors who they have that um, that fulfillment capability and they also have the selection and it's boom you know instant instant assortment on a marketplace with a um, uh, a, a, re, a, a seller who's going to understand you know, the basics of of selling online which for a lot of especially cpg brands it's a bit of a learning curve for them so i wonder if that if that might be an, an option for some of these newer marketplaces to employ which is uh, you know especially in um the world of um kroger going back to those relationships which which they probably already have with distributors So with
0: all of this coming together and clearly no matter what we say at this moment, people are going to be spending, I mean, Miracle got $300 million of funding. So so, um, some Mm. people with money completely agree that there are just going to be marketplaces coming out uh, from everywhere. So given that, and even today, we know talking to brand executives that figuring out the ad spend through retailer platforms and how to invest and where to invest, what is a brand to do as these, as these start to, you know, multiply, how do they think about where to invest, um, where to expand to new segments? You know, what is the size of the prize for doing this?
1: Yeah. Well, I, th- I think there's, there's two approaches. One is where, where are the eyeballs, where are the customers, where are people are all- already shopping online? And that, that's a a much more of a sure bet. And that is, there's, there's one answer, which is Amazon 50% of e-commerce transactions happen on Amazon. It's where half of search uh, product oriented search queries originate. So if you're going to be where the action is, then it's, it's Amazon clear and simple, but there's a couple of um, use cases or a few use cases for looking at some of these other marketplaces, which is, you um, I think best described in, in a conversation that I had with Julie Liu, who's uh, from Cliff Bar. I did an um, interview with her on my podcast, e-commerce brain trust a, a few months ago. And she talked about her criteria for uh, identifying which marketplaces to expand into and Cliff Bar being CPG, they've got a lot of options out there uh, in terms of um, marketplaces to, to investigate. So her criteria are first-party targeting capabilities. So that's on on the advertising front, how robust is is the ability to target down to a shopper level and and use the the data of the platform. Mm -hmm. Efficiency of spend and reach. So having a strong ad platform with good, good targeting, good capabilities there. Both quantitative and qualitative data especially when looking at retail media. And then a couple of other softer factors that she mentioned, um, one being early to market. So if they're early to a platform like walmart.com and able to, you know, get in while it's less competitive and and build up some um, goodwill there, both with the platform and with the shoppers, and that might give them a a longer-term advantage. Uh, And then the, the final criteria, which she mentioned, is... Uh, as a national brand, obviously the, the big retailers eat up quite a bit of the marketing spend, but they she also sees um, their ad dollars and, and media dollars really stretching further with regional grocers So I thought that that was, that was pretty interesting and kind of lays a bit of context as to what some of these factors are uh, beyond just volume, which is what you get with Amazon.
2: Those criteria make a lot of sense. The, I think the, where, where grocery is now from an e-commerce perspective though, is that the ad platforms, the digital ad platforms and the targeting are just not there for, for just about all of them. They're, they're way behind a Walmart or a Google or an Amazon. Maybe the only exception being Instacart and Instacart's ad platform is brand new this year too.
1: Yeah. Yep, totally. Yeah, they're they're all quite different, and and you know there's there's some charts I've put together, which is pros and cons of each of these platforms. And you know, within the paid search world, Amazon advertising up until twenty four months ago was a bit of a joke amongst people who were long time like Google or Facebook um, paid search practitioners. They would look, someone who was you know an expert in Google paid search would look at Amazon's. Um, uh, AMS platform and say, oh, this is this is so basic, this is so simple. Um, but you know, digging beneath the the surface is a lot that can go wrong there. And I think that you know, from my perspective as someone who's lived in the Amazon world for a long time, the big, um, the, the the unobvious challenge with Amazon, and probably you know, the same with all of these marketplaces as well, is actually the operational side of things and a little bit more of what Salsify does, which is product content. And the thing is, you can have the best, smartest paid search campaigns on Amazon. And if, you're, if, if you don't have the inventory, if you don't have the right pricing strategy, or if you don't have the right product content, and you're misleading people, or just not really optimizing for, for conversions, your ad campaigns are going to fall flat. So you think about that, you know, and that's on a really great high powered ad platform now with lots of targeting capabilities, but there's still that sort of the weakest um, link in the chain going on with operations and, and product content. If you look at platforms like Walmart or Instacart, who they're still catching up to Amazon, those same factors, those um, multiplication factors still apply.
0: And, and Kiri, when you think about, uh, I, mean, I, th- I think essentially one of the things you're talking about is if you don't have your fundamentals right, then you might throw some money down the drain. If you haven't, to your point, gotten the fundamentals of how you sell and convert on that platform uh, really set up, then you are just throwing a good money after bad. But when you think about for, for companies that have those fundamentals and assume that they're doing what they need to do on Amazon. What is the sort of the size of the prize of, of a Walmart or, or going international and in marketplaces and stuff like that? How do you think about that?
1: Yeah. I, for, at a super ballpark level, we're looking at a factor of of five to 10% of a creative revenue on, on an international marketplace or on walmart.com relative to amazon.com. So these, for example, Amazon's just launched in Sweden and the Netherlands. Those are going to be pretty small, small compared to um, Amazon.com um, and Australia, where where I currently am. It's certainly closer to five percent, but um, you're looking at a, at a at a multiple of of yeah, 0.05 to 0.1.
0: And that's not something to sneeze at. If you know, if you're just if you're trying to sort of add incremental revenue to your business, but each one of these things are a certain um, require attention and focus and dedicated resources. So um, yeah, so it's a it's a bit of a of a math of a math problem, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're a if your company has uh, you know, if, if five or ten percent additional revenue makes a ton of sense for you as a company relative to how much you're going to need to spend to resource that channel with dedicated uh you know, operational logistics requirements and and uh sharing the, the product just assortment over to that channel or to that marketplace and then running the advertising and having the customer service um capabilities to back it up it's all it's all relative for for a really small startup brand my recommendation is is usually to 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 double down on Amazon, really get that channel humming because that's gonna provide a much better ROI than trying to expand out into all of these marketplaces too early.
2: Yeah, that 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 advice on start with Amazon, maximize Amazon, get as much as you can about Amazon and then go somewhere else and work on that yeah. is a version of um, snowballing your, your internet strategy, right? Like your, your e-commerce and digital shelf strategy. You, you don't do all the marketplaces at once, do the ones that matter. And there's, there's really one that really, really matters. And, yeah. And and it's, it's, it's a, I understand where the retailers are going by trying to add the marketplace assortments to their sites, but also mm-hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to see the habits change once the habits are formed. Here's a, here's a question for you though. If, if I think about like a Kroger in particular, because Kroger's huge and they've got a very big audience. And, you know, if anyone in grocery has a chance of succeeding here, it's going to be, it's going to be them. If I, if I think about Kroger, um, what percentage of those brands that are not core Kroger assortments that are, you know, CPG, center aisle, shippable products, do you think that the brands actually have 3P shipping capabilities already built out? Like my guess without having surveyed them would be, 20% of manufacturers could, could part, even participate in these marketplace opportunities. Am, am, I, am I way short? I mean, most of the folks I talk to just don't have the ability to pick, pack, ship, and eat to a, to a shopper directly.
1: I think you're 100% right in that sort of Fortune 500 space. Very few would have that ability to pick and pack each from their existing um, operations uh, supply chain. Very, very few. And so what what I think a lot of these companies are doing who really want to change and adapt, because some don't, I mean, and that's the other factor here is that a lot of these retailers, including Kroger, they're still going to have their first-party assortment that they're going to purchase direct from Unilever and, you know, all the big CPGs. That's not going to change. They're always going to want to have that first-party assortment Channel, But the, if, if a brand does want to have a 3P capability or and or they're seeing some opportunity in D2C, which is a whole other question we should, should uh, uh, put in the parking lot. But uh, if, if they want that capability, what I've heard from some of these brands is they're not even attempting to do that within their existing supply chain. They're going out to the market and finding a fulfillment partner who will do that for them. Because to revert to engineer into their existing warehouse the ability to pick and pack each is way too difficult. So they need to outsource that.
2: Yeah, and that's a tough thing for them to do because it's a lot of these companies operate to margin as KPI. And so you're giving up margin to your 3PL that you work with in order to do that. Um, so with marketplaces everywhere though, could they afford not to? Five years from now, if you're a manufacturer at any scale, can you afford not to have a marketplace strategy? Can you afford not to be able to ship a, a individual order of an each directly to a shopper? What do, what do you think?
1: Well, that's a good hypothetical question. Um, I think they, they could if they had a really good distributor part, di- distribution partners, distribution partner rather. Um, and, and that's a big question mark is wh- which, which distribution partner would you really rely on to, to sell through to all of the marketplaces that you want to be on and the retailers and have the correct inf- product information and do a really good job of that? That's, that's probably the first question
0: there. Yeah, because that, that, the, how that process works for the consumer is your brand.
1: Exactly. Your, yeah, everything yeah.
0: relies on that feeling right to the consumer. And yeah. that, in some ways, uh, does require you to operate at, if not at the level of an Amazon, pretty close to, unless, unless you're a brand that has the consumer's love so much that they're willing to be uh, patient.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and to add to that as well, one of the, um, I'm, I'm I'm leading an investigation in the digital shelf Institute around profitability for specifically focusing in on CPG brands and can e-commerce be a profitable channel for them. And, um, it's very interesting. I mean, the first question that we need to answer is what is profitability? And each of these CPG brands has a slightly different way of getting to the number, which is usually contribution margin. But again, it differ, differs between different brands, but some brands include retail media spend in calculating the contribution margin of a particular channel. Others it's held at the brand marketing level and it doesn't go into that contribution margin number. So I think to, to, to find to your point, Rob, around these razor razor thin margins, and how to prioritize that. The first question is, how much of a focus does profitability even have for a brand? Because some are, some are even less concerned about it than than others.
2: Yeah, and man, that uh, your point on there's no standard P and L right now when it comes to when it comes to this stuff is is a point well made. People. Uh, generally speaking, have a hard time reasoning about, about um, the the financial implications of all of these moves that they could potentially do. And unfortunately, it leaves them a lot frozen, right? Which again, this is another element of a bear case of marketplaces. If you look at Kroger, if there's a lot of manufacturers that themselves are not picking and packing and shipping niches, or are not meaningfully working with a with a key distributor in order to make sure that their brand is is realized when the distributor lists the product on available marketplaces, then in, in either event, you're leading to a worse consumer experience
1: mm-hmm. than
2: would happen if a consumer, generally speaking, would go to Amazon
0: today. Yep. So, and, and speaking of Amazon, uh, we're about to enter a very interesting holiday season. By the time this airs, it will have already happened, but uh, literally today. Um, Amazon announced their Prime Day dates of October 13th and 14th, and then are essentially the, the message is getting out into the market that you know if you want your stuff by Christmas, <laughs> it's not that much farther after Prime Day when you better have your orders in consumers if the you know if the logistic channels are going to keep up and the possibility of of a resurgent mm-hmm. COVID and flu season like there's a lot of uncertainties coming into this holiday season. And and so um, you know, how does that calculus fit into the topics that we're talking about? Like how are you approaching your, how are you taking control of your own fulfillment in the case of of the uncertainty that's coming this season?
1: Mm. Yeah, un- uncertainty is is a big one because we've got so many externalities that brands have never had to factor in before. And granted, we've been on this path uh, digital path for a few year, more than a few years now. but there's just so many factors just flying into the into the machine right now. We've got prime day at a weird time of the year. We've got COVID. We've got per, you know potentially permanently changing consumer habits. so we just don't really know how to forecast even just for inventory purposes around um q4 of this year and what's made it very challenging for a lot of brands is that they don't have enough time to reload between prime day and even cyber monday black friday and um, you know the remainder of of the shopping um period so it's going to be very challenging just from a logistics standpoint for the last few months we've seen amazon really backed up with their um uh, inbound processing capability, and also I've heard a lot of complaints from brands around pickups as well. So Amazon's just not picking up the the, the purchase orders because their their fulfillment centers are, are full or they, they don't have enough capacity to to ship out. So um, a lot of brands, and this is you know more challenging for the larger ones because they don't have that ability to ship eaches generally, um, is that they're going to need to have a backup system in place to fulfill their own orders and for a lot of companies that's a lot easier said than done
0: i was i was talking with a brand executive the other day who was saying that you know they do their own they, they do have d 2 c shipping that they're doing themselves and he said recently you know they're shipping i don't know say 1700 items a day and then ups who had been their sole provider came to them and said oh sorry coming up we can only ship 900 a day you'll have to figure out something to do with your other yeah (laughs) and and he's like what and so now he's had to go and negotiate with one or two other providers to sort of spread his bets right before the holiday season
1: that is insane yep yep yeah, I've I've heard that these carriers are just they're just putting these limits in place and saying sorry, that's that's all we can do. And I think this is actually one sort of rare case where um, g- people are generally pretty happy about Amazon coming in and disrupting uh, a category, which is yes, which, which is shipping, because that they, they do they're figuring that last mile piece out, and that will be so key for everyone. Um, because of this exact scenario yeah
0: when when instacart is is delivering Sephora to your house you know things are really starting to shift and it is becoming about that last mile So I wanted to close mm. out Carrie, Um I've been reading um, Reed Hasting the CEO of Netflix I've been reading his book on kind of uh, from the Netflix perspective how they built a culture of constant reinvention and it's a it's a culture where, uh, being able to stay flexible, far outweighs achieving efficiency and sort of cost containment. Now, that's something Netflix can get away with. I'm not sure every brand can, particularly as we're talking about razor thin margins. But when you were talking about uh, sort of all of the change and, and shift in thinking and new PL and and all of this stuff that's required, bro, these difficult conversations to, to do that, you know, how do you think brand, one, do you feel like uh, flexibility is becoming so much more important during this time and and how do you weigh that against efficiency but how do you think brands can adapt into that thinking? like how can they be doing that sort of um, more flexible approach to their business
1: Yes this is pretty pretty huge and and it's difficult for me to be completely objective because I'm a digital mm-hmm. digital native someone whose main, context for retail is e-commerce. So, of course, I'm going to say e-commerce all the way, but I understand that it's not, um, you know, the the most profitable channel for a, a lot of companies and they still have a lot of work to do to figure out that, hey, this might be the future, but we, we're we still not profitable in the e-commerce channel, whether that's Amazon or, or D2C. So, that's, that's a big big um, turning point as a company if your future is in this new channel and you haven't yet figured out a way to work it out financially, that needs to be priority number one for the whole company. We're not going back right. where we came from. Um, so I think that there is this is going to require some new skills to be developed within those companies and, and whole, whole ways of reimagining a brand and and how you do business, whether that's from packaging to the, just the general agility and cost efficiency within the company and things like that. It's, it's just something that, that, that will need to be figured out. And if you're a smaller company, this is your, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. There has never been an, a better time to, Poke a stick at the bear of um, your big competitors when they they're sort of still needing to to figure out these new strategies. So it's interesting times. I think every everyone has a shot at reinvention. Um, And to 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 recall back, actually, another thing that Julie Liu from um, Cliff Bar said is, um, digital is not a skill it's uh digital is not a not a department it's a skill and it's a skill that everyone in the company needs to learn it's not just um, re- relegated to the e-com department or to the digital department everyone needs to to develop this skill within a company
0: and one of the things as i said just to to close out here that's those skills are so important and do you find when you look at the the upskilling that's required as people move d2c are you finding that they are insourcing that upskilling, like they are teaching their own teams. Are they outsourcing that to agencies or otherwise, or is it a mix or, you know, where do you come down? I mean, obviously you, <laughs> you're running uh, yeah. an agency. So you, you have a, a, a point of view on it for sure. But, you know, what is your advice to, to getting those skills and making it um, not just a department, but a,
1: yeah, th- there's, there's a real mix. So, and, and I've seen it work, Successfully both ways. There are some, so my agency, Bob Sled, we provide um, managed marketplace management services for brands. There's other agencies out there that do the same thing, great, great work. And a lot of big brands use agencies heavily, and a lot of small brands use agencies heavily. And then we've also got a lot of companies who prefer to in source as much as possible and have their own internal teams working on. The, um, the marketplace search and, and operations side. I would I'd say that the, the best of both worlds truly is to have, uh, to bring in what is great about an agency, which is context and benchmarking and, and best practices. Because, for example, at Bobsled, we've got about 60, 70 retail clients we're able to see these trends happening across different categories, across different accounts that you just wouldn't be able to to spot if you were a practitioner working just with one brand on one account. Um, So I think that context and 50,000 foot view is is really important. And so even if a brand decides to invest in their own in-house team, they should still look to... Um, bring some outside perspective in on that. I think that that's, that's the best of both worlds.
0: And finding an agency that is actually making those connections happen. Cause even still in, in particularly in, in, I would imagine large agencies, sometimes it's hard to get those just as it is in large brands, hard to get those uh, those um, silos even there to break down. So you, you need to be yeah. able to, to test that. Yeah. Yep. Well, Kiri, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this incredibly fast-moving time in, in marketplaces and in commerce. Uh, it's really been a joy to have your, your brain on and, and share some of your, your learnings from the work that you're doing out there. So thank you. Yeah, thank, really you. thank
1: you so much for having me. This has been great.
0: That's today's episode. There are so many issues brand execs are grappling with in this move to a digital-first omnichannel model, and we are doing our best to cover them at the DSI over the next several months. See what we're up to at, again, digitalshelfinstitute.org slash digital-first-omnichannel. In the meantime, thanks for being part of our community.